This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 15 of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me today is Brian Calm. Hi, everybody. Great show coming today. Lots of players to discuss before I do. As always, I'd like to just mention how you can get a hold of us, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. That's our email address. You could ask us fantasy hockey questions. Tweet at us at keepingcarlson. Okay, let's get right to it. Brian, how's your week going? Oh, with one day of games left to play, I'm up 6-5, and that's in large part to getting swept in the goalie categories, thanks to one great start from Tukarask and two uncharacteristically fantastic starts from, of all people, Andrej Pavlic. When I saw I was against him this week, I, I was kind of excited. His terrible numbers this year and the Jets' defense has hung him out to dry. That's not to excuse his own skill and ability. Uh, But let's just put it this way. Over three games this week, including that near disaster against Toronto on Saturday night where he gave up four goals, he still has put up two wins, a 2.31 goals against average, 95 saves, and a 931 save percentage. For context, that's about a 20% decrease in his goals against average and a 29-point increase on his save percentage numbers for the season so far. So I feel like I kind of got screwed. Yeah, definitely a bad week to face Pavlich. Normally, you could expect for sure that he'll let in five goals in one game and blow up your opponent's goalie stats. He's actually just recently picked up in my league. He was available for most of the season, sort of jumping between teams with a lot of time being available. But just this week, actually, someone picked him up. So he must be happy with his new acquisition. I guess so. Immediate dividends. But if you're an owner, sell high on two good games of Andrzej Pavlich, except he's already sort of blown that opportunity for you with what he did against Toronto, like I said. Um, but maybe like if you're in a keeper league, you could be like, hey, look, he's he's really picking it up. He's finally peaking and maturing. And you can fool someone into taking him because I think short term and long term, his value is still pretty low. Do you think he'll still be the starter for Winnipeg for the next few seasons? You know, I don't know what Winnipeg is thinking. They seem to have made no real noise about being unhappy with their goaltending, even though they really, truly should be. I think maybe it's probably one of the reasons that they fired their head coach. I think they replaced the wrong guy. But that said, I should hope, at least for Winnipeg Jets fans, should hope that they're not relying on Pavlich to be the long-term solution. There's nothing to indicate that he will be in his career numbers. Okay, moving on to offense, where I'm winning or tying in everything except plus minus. And the only reason that it's even close is because of what Kyle Ocposo has done for my opponent. And Elon, I'm sure you know, this week he has an insane seven points in four games played with three goals, four assists, two power play points, and 15 shots on goal. Yeah, it's pretty crazy right now with Ocposo. I have him on my roster. He's been insane. It's starting to make me question my whole keeper strategy for next year. 
Is Ocposo a keeper level player at this point? He's a point per game. I guess he's playing with Tavares and you could say that's maybe a bad thing just that if he was ever moved, he won't do as well. But what do you think? No, he's not a keeper level player. I, I think you have to consider, well, the first thing you have to think about is what is Thomas Vonick going to do in the offseason? Because a lot of this started when Vonick was traded for Matt Molson, which bumped Okposo up onto the top line to see more time with Tavares and Vonick, two elite players. And the other thing that you should be concerned about is that his on-ice shooting percentage, five on five, even strength, is at 11%, which means essentially that he's getting pretty lucky with the way that his team is shooting while he's on the ice. So it's not necessarily related to his own shooting percentages, where he's also seeing a little bit of luck, but his whole team is seeing luck, which is helping him generate the points that he is. So basically, it sounds like you're just saying, ride the wave, don't expect it to last forever. Yeah, ride the Ocposo wave. He's he's definitely not in keeper territory yet, especially knowing who your other players are on your roster. But still, like, what a fantastic season. That gives him now 54 points in 53 games. He's over a point a game after last night. Which is crazy. Undrafted in most leagues. And on my team, Clark MacArthur continues to roll with one goal and four assists this week. But aside from him, it's been pretty much a team effort. Everyone's producing pretty consistently. One guy who has not been doing his job for me, though, is Patrick Kane. And it was maybe a month ago when you and I, we answered a question about whether he could now be counted among the fantasy elite because he had a really great start to the year and at the time we answered yes but since then things have been pretty rocky he just went 12 games between goals he has just six points total in his last 12 games his shooting percentage is still a little high so he's just seeing that corrected but it's hit me pretty hard all that said I still think he is an elite fantasy hockey guy and if you look at his points over the last few seasons you'll see that he's up there with all the top leaders And I wouldn't sour on him right now. Maybe if you can find an owner, if you're in a keeper league who is souring on him, go get him quickly. Although I think you'd have to find a pretty foolish person to take that trade. So yeah, that's my week. How's your week going? So surprisingly, I'm only barely winning my matchup. So I've been going on a streak for the past little while. The last few episodes, I've been bragging, probably annoying some of the listeners who aren't doing as well. But I'm currently up four to three in my matchup and it looks like I'm gonna win it either four to three or I could still win it five to two depending on how shots and goal go. I'll mention a couple of players on my team who have really stood out for me. Alex Goligoski, I don't know if you recall Brian, at the beginning of this season I was complaining about him all the time. I drafted him as my highest drafted defenseman, and keep in mind it's a keeper league, so you could consider it like a tenth round pick or something. But for me it was very high and I had a lot of high hopes for him to be my solid second defenseman after Eric Carlson. And he just did nothing for the first couple months of the season. All of a sudden, though, he's really hot. In his last four games, he has five assists. So that all counts for me this week. Five defense points from Alex Goligoski. I remember how concerned you were and how that was like a main topic of our first four or five episodes of the show. (laughs) So yeah, unfortunately... My opponent has Sergei Gonchar, also from the Dallas Stars, who seems to be rolling right along with him. So in those same four games, Gonchar has a goal and three assists. What do you think about these Dallas defensemen, Brian? Do you think that they're going to keep up a pace like this or somewhat similar for the rest of the year? Or are they going to go back to doing nothing like they were doing before? And just to point out, at least in ESPN, Goligoski's still only 77.9% owned. So there might be some listeners who are in leagues that you could still grab someone like Goligoski. So it's very important how you answer this question, Brian. 
Well, with Alex Goligoski, I don't want to act all knowing or anything, but it isn't exactly a surprise that he he's doing what he is. I mean, it was uncharacteristic of him to not be producing. And we looked into the reasons earlier in the season for why that might be. And I think my advice at the time was to just write it out because it seemed pretty much like a sure thing he would come back. And obviously he has, and that's good for you. But as for Gonchar, it was a little less obvious that he still had some gas left in the tank after really a horrific start to the season. But now all of a sudden you look at his numbers, he's up to 16 points in 46 games. I don't see a clear reason why he might be up there, except that he is getting pretty favorable minutes. He's not playing against difficult competition right now. And he's also seeing quite a large amount of offensive zone starts, a a better ratio of offensive zone starts than any other Dallas Stars defenseman. So I guess getting a few easier minutes might be doing him some good. As for whether it will last, well, I don't know. All his numbers seem sort of in order and the rate he's producing it is good. It's not crazy good, but it's good. And and I think what he's doing now would sort of stay in line with what he's done in the last couple of years. You know, he's still produced, but at a slightly declining rate because of his age. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought you'd say. So Gonchar is actually only 23% owned in ESPN. So might be someone to at least pick up now while he's on somewhat of a hot streak. I know he's still available in my league, and he's been available for like three months now. I'll mention a couple of other players from my team. So it's pretty much been the stars doing their thing. Henrik Zetterberg, a goal and five assists in the last three games. Phil Kessel, four goals and two assists. These are the guys who I expect to do well. Someone who I've already mentioned recently in a past podcast but he's still doing really well is joe pavelski out of nowhere i think he's one of the hottest players in the league he's given me three goals and two assists this week and he has 10 points in the last five games brian did you like how i tweeted from our keeping carlson twitter account that pavelski had a crap game a couple games ago when he only scored one goal yeah i appreciated that and especially after the conversation we had last week about where his ceiling might be or maybe it was two weeks ago uh, i'd still be worried i mean He's scoring goals at a ridiculous rate, and it's showing. He's scoring on over 19% of his shooting attempts, which is not normal for him. Over the course of his career, it's only about 11%, so I wouldn't expect it to continue. But what he's doing is amazing, and I'm sure very much appreciated by fantasy owners such as yourself. Yeah, definitely unexpected, that's for sure. I just read that the Sharks re-signed Thornton and Marlowe for another couple of seasons. I'm curious to know what that means for Pavelski, just in terms of I was reading going into the season that maybe he'd be a good keeper going forward because once Thornton and Marlowe retire, he's going to move up in the lineup. But now he's doing so well with them in the lineup. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, well, they'll both be 35 years old by the time next season starts. And I think that they'll still be producing, but in a lesser role. And that'll be a chance for Pavelski and Couture and the rest of the young San Jose Sharks to step up and and get more opportunities even than they're getting right now. Mm -hmm. Can you believe that Thornton is leading the league in assists? I can. He's just great. And you know, actually, with that said, it's it's worth adding that if Thornton and Marlowe are declining, that will also negatively impact some of the Sharks who are benefiting like from all of Thornton's assists right now and Marlowe's goals. Anyone scoring points on those is going to have to create a little more of their own offense. So they'll have more opportunity to do so, but they'll also be more reliant on themselves. So on my opponent's side, pretty much the only thing that's been keeping him in this matchup with me is the Columbus Blue Jackets. He's got a lot of Blue Jackets, and they've been on an insane hot streak. 
They just had an eight-game winning streak snapped yesterday, but he's definitely been enjoying the production from players such as Jack Johnson, who's someone I dropped. He got two points in the last three games. Nathan Horton, who we've discussed on the podcast. James Wisniewski. These are all players we've discussed, and yeah, they're all still doing really well. Also, Brandon Dubinsky, who I know you have in your lineup. And finally, I'll mention that my goalies have kind of let me down this week. Varlamov and Niemi. So my opponent had a pretty weak week in goaltending, and it should have been a nice opportunity for me to take advantage. He has Steve Mason, who has had two starts, lost both of them, 863 save percentage, and Braden Holtby, who actually has been really good. But unfortunately, Niemi and Varlamov have combined for an 892 save percentage, which is very uncharacteristic. The good thing is the Sharks and the Avalanche are very good, so in four starts with an 892 save percentage, I still got three wins. Well, that's a bit of a stroke of luck, isn't it? Is it luck or is it Pavelski? <laughs> back Backup <laughs> podcast name. <laughs> so those are our weeks. Now let's move over to talking about some moves we've made in the past little while and also maybe some anticipated future moves. So Brian, what's on your mind with regards to how you're going to take the Flamingos to the next level? The Flamingos, as you might know, are the league leader in moves. I've made 39 this year, which is really unusual. I like to usually stand pat and be patient. And actually, that's what I've done for maybe like the last four to six weeks. I've barely done anything. And it's showing. I think that my lineup is starting to atrophy from lack of movement. There are several things I need to take care of. First and foremost, I need to get PA Parento off my IR. And to do that, I've got to drop, I think it'll be Charlie Coyle or Mike Fisher. Both are probably on the low end of the totem pole. But they're no better than a couple other guys like Jordan Stahl. What a disappointment he's been for me all season. And Louis Erickson has really been a mess. I mean, he's been concussed twice this year, but he's also averaging a shots per game average. That's his lowest since his first two years in the league. And he's also seen his ice time drop about three minutes on average. He's playing on the third line. He's not seeing a lot of his new team's power play minutes like he did back in Dallas. So I, well, anyway, so I sort of just ranted about Louis Erickson, but the point is I need to do something to, to shake up my team a little bit. So I've got a list of guys that I'd like to drop. And I actually, I'd like to get your thoughts on this, Elon. I asked on Twitter earlier today about dropping Nicholas Backstrom. If you remember, I got him in a trade and he was sort of like, I thought he'd be the centerpiece. I thought Harding, I got Harding and Backstrom and I thought Harding would sort of regress and Backstrom would retake his role. But that hasn't happened. And Backstrom has been like pretty much useless to me, either wrecking my weeks or being a non-factor. He hasn't really done anything positive in quite a while for my lineup. So do you think it would be crazy to drop Nicholas Backstrom in like a really goalie heavy league? Like I'm going to tell you some of the players who are available in my league as goaltenders, okay? Okay. Okay. So Kevin Poulin, Anders Limbach, Scott Clemenson, Jeff Zatkoff, and Dan Ellis are really like the only viable goalie options available. Second stringers and even third stringers are taken almost completely. Uh, So do you think that Nicholas Backstrom belongs in that group? I definitely think he does. To be honest, like you said, Backstrom rarely plays at this point. Harding's been injured and Kemper has been getting the majority of the starts and you have him as well. So you really are Minnesota heavy. Am I wrong in saying that Backstrom pretty much plays as often as Jeff Zatkoff, the backup on Pittsburgh? No, I, you know what, that's a really good point. I don't think you're wrong. And I think Zatkoff probably puts up better numbers too. At least in wins. His save percentage leaves a bit to be desired recently. And on the season, it's only 0.903. But yeah, you could get use him for wins. 
obviously Poulin is hot and cold on the Islanders, though Nabokov is coming back from injury soon. Do you need to pick up another goalie if you drop Backstrom? Well, I don't think so. It just depends on what the Wild are going to do once Harding's healthy, which like keeps getting pushed back further and further. I don't know how much longer Kemper, you know, I don't know if he's going to get tired and I need Backstrom for insurance. I want to have the Wild handcuff. But like you said, I mean, Zakhoff, even at 9.03, save percentage on the season, that's four points better than Backstrom. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just feel, I guess, a little... I'm afraid, Elon, to to drop Nicholas Backstrom. I don't want to lose him for nothing, especially if it comes back to bite me because I'm doing so well and I'm so close and it's no thanks to Backstrom and I could really use that extra roster spot. But man, I just, I'm hanging on like like he's my security blanket, kind of. I need to get yeah. over it, I think. Yeah, I don't know. You're the expert, Brian. You're the one who's supposed to answer those types of questions. Yeah, well, I'm I'm good at using my head for other people, but you know, I have this sort of attachment, I guess, when it comes to my own team. I think that happens to a lot of people, especially someone you drafted or traded for. You don't want to feel like an idiot and just drop them for nothing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I traded the other guy, Devin Dubnik and Ray Emery. Like, I probably would have dropped Emery by now, so maybe I can use that to rationalize and feel comfortable with this decision. But this all goes to say that yes, the Flamingos are due for some moves. I will repeat back, and when we get to our players of note in this show, you'll hear about a few guys who are on my watch list to be picked up to replace, you know, guys like Fisher Coyle, maybe Jordan Stahl. John Carlson is also frustrating me quite a bit, and Nicholas Backstrom. So that's my team. No moves this week, maybe a flurry of moves next week. You'll have to mm-hmm. wait to find out. What about your team? Are you are you tinkering? Are you scared by this, this quote-unquote close matchup that you've had this week? Uh, that's funny. So I should mention that I'm playing against the person who's second in the league. So I should be happy just to be beating him. That's all I need to do in the playoffs. I am, though, a bit concerned about one aspect of my team, which is the defense. So I have a couple of players who are basically doing nothing now. So we've talked so much about Tobias Enstrom. I won't even mention him. I will say, though, that he did get a power play assist yesterday. So that eased my suffering a little bit. We should play a sound bite every time we mention Enstrom and then a different one every time he gets a point. Yeah, ring a bell for when Enstrom scores or gets an assist. But to be honest, the player who I'm most concerned about is Dennis Weidman. He got injured partway through the season. Actually, let me back up. He was my keeper going into the year. And I know that's a really weak keeper defenseman, but my team had lots of good offense, was weak on defense. Last year, at least, the top D on Calgary and was a half point per game player. This year, he was doing okay. Then he got injured. Fine. Put him on the IR. When he came off the IR, I dropped Jack Johnson to give him a roster spot. And he's rewarded me with three points in like over 10 games. And when you look at his time on ice, it gets really scary. In those last game, he played 10 minutes. The game before, 15. There was one game that was an anomaly where he played 38 minutes, but that was because a whole bunch of players were in the penalty box or kicked out of the game. But yeah, it seems like Weidman is no longer being relied on on Calgary as one of their top offensive defensemen. And I feel like I'm going to need to drop him soon. To be honest, I'm not totally sure why you're so disappointed in him because his pace this year, 15 points in 36 games so far, is not really that far off from his 22 points in 46 games last year. I think one of the main reasons, you know, for any decline would be that Calgary is just even worse this year than they were last year. And of course, that makes it harder for anybody to produce well. But if you look at the way that Calgary is using their defensemen, Dennis Weidman still has the largest percentage of offensive zone starts among Calgary defensemen and among Calgary players. So he's getting the opportunities. He has the same power play time as last season. 
His shooting percentage is down, although for a defenseman, it doesn't make a huge difference. I guess stick with him, although I was never really that high on him. But I can see why you're frustrated. In his last two games, he was minus four last game. And and he's gone two straight without even a shot on goal and only one blocked shot. Like, it's pretty much zeros across the board for him lately. Well, yeah, and also just the fact that I'm talking about super recently. I know on the season he was doing pretty well before his injury, and you're including those numbers. If you just look at since he's come back, even forgetting about the numbers, like just in this last game, Giordano played 31 minutes and Weidman played 10.59. I see what you mean. His ice time has jumped around quite a bit lately from 22 minutes to 18 minutes, 22 minutes to 14 minutes to 18 minutes to 15 minutes. But actually, the last two games are the only time that it's regressed twice in a row. And do you happen to know maybe he was injured or something? Because that is pretty uncharacteristic. I don't know when the last time he saw fewer than 15 minutes might have been. No, I'm pretty sure it's just the fact that he went minus four. And at some point, the coach just had enough. Well, yeah, I guess I would too. That That's pretty bad. Minus four in 11 minutes. That's benchworthy. So yeah, the thing is, though, that even if I want to drop Weidman, I kind of can't right now because of another strategy I'm employing. Evander Kane came off the IR recently, and I still have him in my IR spot because I can't decide which of my forwards to drop. And I'm kind of thinking, since if I were to drop any of my forwards, he'd get snagged right away on the waiver wire, and I wouldn't get that guy back. So I'm kind of thinking that since I'm in first place anyways, I just want to hang on to everybody and wait till some other forward gets injured, and then I could flip Kane for him. But of course, while Kane's in the IR, I can't make any other moves. So I think I'm going to be sticking with Weidman a couple of weeks because I'm forced to. And hopefully in that time, he'll convince me to keep him. And otherwise, when someone else gets injured and I'm free to make changes to my roster again, I'll be looking for a defenseman to replace Weidman. That's very wily of you, Elon, but totally legal. And I think that probably the best way to manage your lineup right now, I wouldn't want to lose one of those guys for nothing and especially wouldn't want to risk giving them to one of my competitors. Yeah, well, it's kind of like, based on what you talked about last week of the benefits of being on top is you have the luxury to make moves like this when you don't have to worry about your week to week matchups as much. You were listening. <laughs> so I want to move on quickly to a couple of questions that we've received. Sure. And Elon, you were manning the Twitter this week while I was away, right? Yeah. And we got a couple of questions. So that, again, our Twitter account is at keeping Carlson. I'll start with at Aussie pockets or golden Joe who asked, any thoughts on the top Canes line? Tlusty has been incredibly quiet all year. So obviously he asked that because Tlusty had been announced to be moving back to the first line with Eric Stahl and Alex Semin. This was asked on the 20th before he rattled off a couple of really great games. So right now everyone's talking about Tlusty. Hopefully Ozzy Pockets grabbed him when he had the chance. I answered saying maybe worth a flyer. But I mentioned that you should be wary because he doesn't play many power play minutes. What do you think, Brian? Elon, that's exactly the key, I think. And a lot of people are making a big deal that he's back on the top line. But but he still spent the majority of his own ice time playing with Eric Stahl and Alex Semin and does not have a lot to show for it. Mind you, Semin has had his own struggles too. So maybe there's a bit of a relation there. But like you said, it really does come down to power play time. Let's look back to when Yuri Tulusi broke out last year with 38 points in 48 games. He was seeing nearly half of Carolina's power play minutes while playing on their top unit. This year, he's seen a 20% decrease in power play time and has just one power play point to show for his troubles. If you compare that with eight power play points last year in just a handful more games, you can see what's led to him putting up just eight goals and seven assists total in 43 games to date. 
Now, five of his points, one-third of his total output for the season, came with a mini three-game point streak just recently, like you said. Uh, But I don't think that's reason to get too excited about it because if you look even more at his numbers, this year he's regressed back to a more sustainable shooting percentage. Last year, he was shooting at double his career number, 20%, which is really not a percentage that anyone can achieve on a consistent basis. Uh, So I wouldn't let his sudden surge fool you. It's good if you had him on your roster for it. But if you're looking for reliable production now and in the long term, I think I would look elsewhere. You know, unless he somehow finds himself back on that top power play unit again, you can probably leave him on the wire for the time being. Oh, interesting advice. Yeah, well, it's tempting to take him even without the power play just because of his current line mates. So it'll be interesting to see how this turns out. Hopefully you haven't Hodgsoned this advice. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I do, like, I've already admitted that maybe I was wrong on that for sure in the short term. I think before it was maybe in the short term, but now it's for sure in the short term. We'll still see what happens long term. And hey, I think you can cut me some slack. I mean, I think maybe I'm one of the reasons that you still have Goligoski on your roster. So, you know, <laughs> give me a break. That's true. Another question from Twitter came from at Gumbimpy. He asked about a trade that he's thinking of making between four-star players. So he asked, my Kunitz and Lad for his Eberly and Parisi. And it's a Roto League goals, assists, plus minus power play points, shots, hits, blocks. And his team name is G-Lad Saran Wrap. So instead of Glad Saran Wrap, I get it. Got it. Well, he's got to change his team name. Well, I think that's the biggest reason not to make this trade and why I also didn't want you to trade Carlson before. You never make a trade that screws up your fantasy team name. That's the cardinal rule of fantasy hockey. (laughs) Well, this would have actually, the Carlson one would have changed my podcast name. Is that even worse? I think so. But anyway, what do you think about Gumbimpy's trade? Yeah, I think my initial inclination was to keep Kunitz and Ladd. I think Eberly is seeing a fair amount of regression this season. And Parise, I mean, he's been injured a little bit, but even when he's been in the lineup, he had some stretches of inconsistency. Although in a Roto League, it only matters what you have at the end of the year. That said, I feel it's weird. Like, Kunitz for Parise, like, why wouldn't you? You know, you always feel like Parise is probably the better player, but Kunitz has the better production. So I would, it's so hard to say that I'd take him of the two all things being equal. And I think I would prefer Ladd over Everlay because, you know, if hits and blocks are categories, he has a small upgrade in those numbers. But as I answered him, you know, this is a really tough one. It's so dependent on context and where he is exactly in each of the categories in his league. So I asked him to send me a screenshot. I haven't got one yet, Gumbimpy. So uh, if you're listening, send one over and, and we'll happily take a look and maybe cover it again on next week's show. Yeah, it's always interesting if you're making a trade like that with some top players. It also probably matters if it's a keeper league or not, because Eberly and Perizzi are a nice core to move forward with. But obviously, like you said, it depends a lot on what's going on in his league. We still don't know everything. Everyone is waiting in anticipation for Gumbimpy's response. (laughs) (laughs) You can tweet at Gumbimpy. Where is the screenshot? All right, one last question. Someone emailed us, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. So Brett emailed, asking, so now that Delzato is traded, is he worth the pickup? Also, what about Klein? Well, I'll take a shot at this first. Delzato, as everyone knows, was traded from the Rangers to Nashville for Klein. And he has since done basically nothing. He doesn't get power play time. He doesn't get minutes. I think he sucks. So no, he's not worth the pickup. And neither is Klein. So that's my easy answer. What about you, Brian? 
I think your easy answer is pretty good. It seems to me like Nashville might have done this just for some salary cap flexibility, maybe, because they don't have to re-sign Delzato, but Klein was under contract longer. But that's not what we discuss here. The question was actually answered really well by TSN Scott Cullen over at tsn.ca. And he mentioned that Delzato was playing pretty sheltered minutes in New York and still not doing anything substantial with them. And in Nashville, it's not like it's going to be easy for him to climb up the depth chart because Roman Josie is their top left-hand shooting defenseman. And Matthias Ekholm, who's playing pretty well, is number two on the depth chart. So Delzato is going to have to pass one of them to see any sort of substantial playing time. And I, I don't know. I don't think maybe being on a new team is going to help him and motivate him because, again, he he's a restricted free agent at the end of the year. He's looking at his next contract. I don't know, but it hasn't been a motivator for him so far. I wouldn't count on Delzato. I would still leave him on the wa- waiver wire if it's me. And Kevin Klein, yeah, I don't think he's really worth talking about. Fantasy irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, maybe Delzato would be valuable if your league counts time on bench. <laughs> Let's bring back now our patented hashtag snoozer segment where Brian talks about a player who you might still have on your lineup and not realize that you should have dropped them a long time ago. So, Brian, who's your snoozer for this week? The snoozer for this week is Chris Versteeg. He was traded from Florida to Chicago. He was doing all right in Florida, and he was like seeing top three or at least top six minutes. But going to Chicago made him a fantasy-relevant player again just by virtue of being on a better team. Uh, but he's about to fade back out with the way things have been going for him lately. You know, it, it doesn't help him that he's playing in Chicago's bottom six, mostly alongside Brian Bickle and Michael Hanzus, who have just nine and 10 points respectively on the year. Uh, but Versteek himself, he has 17 points in 34 games with the Blackhawks so far, which isn't so bad. But consider that in his last 13 games, he only has two points. And I think what this has made clear is that his production before was really a byproduct of having Patrick Kane as his line mate. If you look at his with or without you stats at Hockey Analysis, about half of Versteeg's points in Chicago have come while he's with Kane on the ice. And they're not together on the ice much lately, so Versteeg probably isn't worth your time anymore. Stop snoozing, drop Versteeg. I actually had Versteeg for a little bit this year. And I dropped him, and yeah, he didn't really do anything. I think the most frustrating thing about having Versteeg was I had him during this time when Chicago was scoring six, seven goals a game, and he still was barely getting one point, if any. Like I said, totally reliant on his line mate. It seems, I mean, anyone playing bottom six isn't going to see that much opportunity. And if he does move back up and plays with Kane, you know, then he's worth a look again. Um, but I'm always suspicious of players who can't create their own offense, and Versteeg falls into that category right now. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Brian, I've got a snoozer for you. Sure. So like I mentioned before, I've been looking to see what defense is available to potentially replace Weidman going into my fantasy playoffs. One person that showed up on the free agent list, Patrick Weirkoch, he's still 25% owned on ESPN, so a lot of people are holding on to this guy. But he's only played in three of his team's last 10 games on the Ottawa Senators, of course. It's one of those frustrating players to own, I'd imagine, because he has three goals and 12 assists for 15 points in 32 games played this season, which is a very respectable points per game pace for a defenseman. But yet that 32 games played is not very high. That's like half of his team's games. So I can't imagine a reason why you could hang on to a guy like Weirkoch 
while he's not holding on to a stable roster position on the Ottawa Senators. I think it would be unfair to Patrick Weirkoch to call him a snoozer only because he hasn't had the chance to prove otherwise. And he definitely is not like the seventh best defenseman on Ottawa. I would probably give that honor to Jared Cowan right now as the person who deserves more to be scratched. But for whatever reason, it hasn't been made totally clear by management. But other guys are playing ahead of Weirkoch. And that's something to be aware of if you are one of his owners. And keep a close eye. I think it's been rumored that the Sens might be trying to make room on their blue line uh, so that they can play you know, their, their best defenseman regularly. Whether that includes Weirkoch or not, I don't know. Um, but when he has been in the lineup, he's been good. So maybe in a deeper format, like a keeper league, you should make sure not to get too down on him because of being scratched. When he has played, he's been really good, especially after almost getting to bust status not so long ago after having a pretty rough pro debut in the AHL. But I guess my overall advice on him would be is is to just stick with him. He's not snoozing. He's just been put to bed too often by Ottawa Senators management. Yeah, I like how you say don't blame him for his snoozer status. Like, I'm not blaming the person. I'm just saying as someone that's on your fantasy hockey team, if you're not in a deep league, you probably don't want to have someone who only plays in three of ten games. True, yeah. So in that sense, maybe he is a snoozer, but I think... A snoozer with upside. Yeah, good. Exactly. Let's finish off the show with our lightning round. Brian, just give us some players that are on your mind. 30 seconds each. Go. Okay, just a little preface for the segment this week. These are all players on my watch list that I was talking about, remember, making moves, making a lot of moves this week. These are the three guys that I'm considering the most adding to my team. Okay, I'll be curious to know if any of them are available in my league. I'll let you know as you go. Well, Elon, you inspired the first one, and it's Jacob Truba. He was picked ninth overall in 2012. He's still 19 years old. He picked up two points in his first career game, which got people excited. And then he went pointless for the next 10. And to be honest, that's sort of where I left off with him. But then you mentioned his name to me in an email. And so I took a look and saw 10 points in his last 25 games played, giving him a total of 7 goals, 11 assists, a plus 6 rating, 73 blocks, and 66 shots on goals in 36 games played. Now, these aren't world-beating numbers, but for a 19-year-old defenseman, they're pretty promising. So what does Jacob Truba have going for him? And I might go over 30 seconds here, so forgive me. Well, Truba is third amongst Winnipeg defensemen with at least 30 games played in points per 60 minutes behind just Dustin Bufflin and Grant Klitsam. He puts up about half a point more per 60 minutes than podcast non-favorite Tobias Enstrom. He sees a ton of even strength ice time and is third among Jets D-men in power play time. So all that said, what's not to like about this guy? Well, I will be the guy who tells you what's not to like about this guy. Truba has seen a relatively average amount of starts in the offensive zone, and he's playing against weaker competition than his teammates. But even in those circumstances, he's still ranked six out of seven Jets defensive regulars in possession. That's bad. He's also got an unsustainable team on ice shooting percentage that is way above the average, again using Enstrom as a benchmark. His on ice team shooting percentage is about 3.5% higher than Tobias Enstrom's, and Truba is probably due to see some regression in his own shooting percentage too. So you can try and grab him and hope he keeps rolling in the short term, but there are enough red flags here to tell us that what he's doing now probably won't keep up for a whole lot longer, but he's still pretty new in the league and developing a body of work, and I'm curious to see where he takes it from here. 
Okay, so yeah, Truba is not available in my league. Actually, I think the reason I inspired it because I was sending you a complaining email about Enstrom, which we both just send back and forth to each other all the time. And I mentioned that I wish I had just dropped him and picked up Truba a couple of weeks ago when I had the chance. Now I do not have the chance. And actually, Truba is owned by the guy who I'm playing this week. And he's definitely been enjoying his production. Too bad you didn't get him next week. Because according to me and his numbers, he might see some regression. So we'll see. Like I said, really curious to see what happens with him. Might still add him to my team, even with all those warning signs about his production about to regress. Right. Well, I mean, if you're replacing a Mike Fisher or a Nicholas Backstrom, then it's not too much of a risk. Who's next, Brian? Gustav Nyquist on the Detroit Red Wings. So we got excited about Nyquist like everybody else. When he came up, he he made an immediate impact. And then we caught him snoozing earlier this year. But now he's in the midst of a four-game point streak where he scored three goals and three assists and rated a plus five, though he has a pretty unimpressive nine shots on goal in that span. So he had a similar run about two months ago, but between that run and this run, he had just three points in 14 games played. Mike Babcock has said publicly recently that he's happy with Nyquist's play right now, and that is showing up in his ice time. He's seeing a two or three minute bump in total minutes right now and continues to be used on the power play where he saw almost seven minutes against Montreal on Friday night. Nyquist is also seeing some favorable team shooting and save percentages while he's on the ice. And, you know, he has teased us all once already, which makes me wary. His pedigree would suggest that at some point in his career, he'll be able to sustain this kind of pace. But I'm still not sure if this is that time. In my mind, he is a good guy to take a risk on right now. But I should qualify that by saying there are no guarantees and this might just be another short burst. Mm -hmm, Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if his production has a lot to do with how Henrik Zetterberg, like I mentioned, has six points in his last three games. I think I've seen Nyquist's name besides Zetterberg on the score sheet for a lot of these goals. Well, Elon, I I think you're on to something. If you look at his with or without you numbers, Nyquist has 12 points on the season. Eight of them have come with Henrik Zetterberg on the ice. But again, that's who he's playing the most with. So I guess if he's going to score, it's likely going to be alongside Henrik Zetterberg. It's sort of a chicken or egg situation here. Let's go to your last lightning round entry. Okay, let's close out this week's show by talking about Ryan Klo, not only because it rhymes, but because I, I think he was pretty much left for dead by Pulis after he went 28 games without a goal last year, which was really uncharacteristic. He'd helped many fantasy teams in the past, including my own, he scored at least 17 goals in each of his previous four seasons, and he had a career-high 62 points just two years before that whole Mishka Bibble. Except that reputation sort of stuck with him, and it wasn't helped by the fact that he missed the first two months of this year out with a concussion, and then when he came back, he started real slow. Uh, but it looks like he's catching up to speed now. In his last nine games, Ryan Klo has three goals and seven assists, two of each on the power play, and 22 shots on goal. He's skating on the Devils' top line with Adam Henrique and Michael Ryder, and he's seeing a reasonable amount of offensive zone starts. There's nothing to indicate that what Klo has done has just been a run of luck either. If you look beyond the 28 goalless games in San Jose last year, Klo seems to have played pretty consistently over the last several years. No New Jersey player is going to be a huge point producer for your team, but Klo is probably one of the better long-term and safer bets available on your free agent wire right now. That's going to do it for this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. Thank you so much to everyone listening. 
We really appreciate it. And of course, the people who sent us questions, we appreciate it even more. So if you want to do us a favor, if we've done you any favors this episode, do us a favor. Give us a five-star review on iTunes or tell a friend, help spread the word of the podcast. And of course, you could always email us at keepingcarlson at gmail.com. We'd love to answer your questions directly. But let's cue that outro music. Brian, tell us about some of the resources we use to create the show. Sure. To research the show, we use and thank very much the following websites, leftwinglock.com, dauberhockey.com, extraskater.com, behindthenet.ca, tsn.ca, Yahoo Sports Fantasy Hockey, ESPN Fantasy Hockey, and the with or without you stats from today's show were brought to you by stats.hockeyanalysis.com.